Hello and welcome to Demystified Podcast episode number three. My name is Justin Ash. I will be your host today. Very excited to be with you all today as we navigate the realms of truly unlocking the myths, mystique, and legends of building wealth, saving taxes, and creating financial freedom. About me, I am a CPA. I have a practice in Bellevue, Washington, US of A. Our practice specializes in global business consulting, taxation strategy and mitigation, financial statements, and audit defense. We love the game. And we love working with entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. We, we believe that providing quality service, providing added value, and providing the best content is one of the keys to unlocking the true mystery of wealth creation. If you'd like to reach our office, please email us at admin at justinjash.com. Again, admin at justinjash.com. Man, there's just so much to cover uh, as we dive into topics such as business, entrepreneurship, investing, marketing, management, global economics, finance, regulation, taxation, strategy. So the question, uh, the question is always uh, as it becomes, you know, in a world that's driven by politics and corporations and media, propaganda, consum- consumerism, how do we stay centered? How do we see both opposing sides of the coin remain 100% diplomatic and make rational decisions based on factual data and evidence? Well, that's exactly what the purpose of this podcast is today. The title of today's podcast is America's Number One Export. So, what is America's Number One Export? Plain and simple, it's debt. It's money that we owe to somebody else. So let's go back in time. Now, how did all this happen? The entire global economic order was shattered after the devastation of World War II. Reestablishing economic stability was a vital concern to global leaders, including 730 delegates from 44 allied nations. A plan for restoring order to the international economic community came at a historic conference held in July 1944 in the state of New Hampshire, more commonly known or referred to as the Bretton Woods Conference. This meeting created a new global fixed exchange rate regime with a gold-backed U.S. dollar playing the central role. The fact that nations could convert their dollar into gold fixed at a rate of $35 per ounce, helped alleviate concerns about the dollar's new role. If a nation didn't feel comfortable with the USD, they could simply convert it back to gold. The Bretton Woods Agreement instantly created a strong global demand for USD as the preferred medium of exchange for settling international transactions. In addition, the U.S. now had permission to print an excessive amount of USD. Well, why does all this matter? Well, let's say you have a beautifully listed home for sale at a price of $2 million. Now imagine we could instantly decrease the money supply within the U.S. economy down to $1 million. What would happen to the value of your home? Well, it would drop dramatically. Now, did your home become less valuable? No, the decline in your home price is directly related to the overall money supply. It would be impossible to ask $2 million for a home if only $1 million were in existence. On the flip side, with an economy with $1 trillion in existence, 
We could have thousands of homes worth $2 million. In the eyes of our politicians, the, bene the benefit of printing more dollars leads to a increased asset prices and prosperity. Or so it goes. We'll touch on that in a bit. So let's keep going. By 1971, as America's trade deficits increased and domestic spending soared, a growing number of nations who believed that the U.S. was abusing its leadership role within the global economy began publicly challenging the U.S. by demanding gold in exchange for their dollar holdings. Foreign banks began cashing in their USD for gold. Uh, America's gold reserves declined. Dollars came flowing back into the U.S. economy. By the summer of 1971, U.S. the United States was literally bleeding gold. Washington realized it was game over. On August 15, 1971, President Richard Nixon detached the U.S. dollar from its convertibility into gold. This had a huge impact on global economics because essentially all fiat, cur all fiat currencies became floating and the U.S. dollar could essentially print an infinite amount of USD with its fixed to gold. But what the main concern became was, the main question would be this, would foreign nations still be eager to hold America's debts, despite the facts that these debts were no longer backed by anything? Could the U.S. sustain this global demand for USD? So what happened next? Enter the petrodollar system where dollars for, <laughs> dollars for gold is replaced by dollars for oil. Now, President Nixon and his globalist sidekick, Secret Secretary of State he Henry Kissinger, knew the destruction of the international gold standard under the Bretton Woods arrangement will cause a decline in the artificial global demand for the USD. Maintaining this artificial dollar demand was vital if the U.S. were to continue expanding its welfare and warfare spending. In a series of meetings with the U.S. and Saudi royal family made a unique agreement. According to the agreement, the U.S. would offer military protection for the Saudi Arabia oil fields. The U.S. also agreed to provide the, Saudi, the Saudis with military assistance, weapons, and perhaps most importantly, protection from Israel's growing military arsenal. The only thing the U.S. wanted in, in return was that the Saudis must agree to price all of their oil in USD only. In fact, they were to refuse all other currencies for payment of their oil exports. And the Saudis would invest their, oil surplus, their surplus oil proceeds back into U.S. debt securities. The global artificial demand for oil would not only remain intact, it would soar due to due to the increasing demand for oil around the world in the decades to come. So the net effect? 1. Uh, increased global demand for U.S. dollars. 2. Increased global demand for U.S. debt securities, commonly, commonly referred to U.S. treasuries. And 3. It gives the U.S. the ability to buy oil with a currency it can print at will. Now, the only, the only problem with this deal... Uh, is that we must remember that the USD is debt. Now, the central bank in the U.S., the Federal Reserve, which controls the money supply, interest rates, and fractional reserve banking. The U.S. government, it's a different, ent it's a different entity entirely, mandates the fiscal policy, budget planning, military spending, w welfare spending, 
So in short, the Fed, as well as many other foreign nations, private pensions and private businesses, supplies the money, and the U.S. government spends the money. When the U.S. government needs money to spend, it issues what's called a U.S. Treasury, uh, commonly referred to as a T-bond or a T-bill. This is just an IOU from the U.S. government to the entity that is lending the money. This form of debt security is backed by basically the production of you and I, the U.S. taxpayer. So what does this mean for U.S. fundamentals? Although this artificial for demand for USD through the use of the petrodollar can soften the initial impact of America's frivolous spending habits, I do not think it can last forever. So, on a path to destruction. On October 22, 1981, the national debt in the United States crossed the $1 trillion threshold for the first time in history. It took nearly two centuries to reach that unfortunate milestone. Over that time period, the country had been through a revolution, a civil war, two world wars, the Great Depression, the nuclear arms race, plus dozens of other wars, financial panics, and economic crises. Today, the national debt stands at more than $21 trillion, a milestone hit just roughly two months ago. This means that the government added $20 trillion to the national debt in the 37 years between October 22, 1981 and March 15, 2018. That's an average of nearly $1.5 billion added to the national debt every single day. This equates to $62 million per hour, which equates to $1 million per minute and more than $17,000 per second. But the problem for the U.S. government is that this trend is not getting better, folks. It's growing worse and worse over the years. It took only 214 days for the government to go from $20 trillion in debt to $21 trillion in debt. Less than eight months to add a trillion dollars to the national debt. That's an average of almost $52,000 per second. Think about that. On average, the U.S. national debt increases by more in a split second than the typical American worker earns in an entire year. Entire year. And there's no end in sight, folks. At 105% of GDP, America's national debt is already larger than the size of the entire U.S. economy. By comparison, the national debt was just 31% of GDP back in 1981. Plus, the government's own projections show a steep increase to the debt in the coming years and decades. The Treasury Department has already estimated it will borrow $1 trillion this fiscal year, another trillion dollars next year, and another trillion dollars the year after that. They're forecasting the national debt to exceed $30 trillion by 2025. Now... Remember, as investors, we know there is a difference between good debt and bad debt. Businesses, individuals, we all use debt all the time to finance productive investments. Real estate investors, for instance, instance, often borrow most of the money they need to purchase a property once they determine that the rental income should be more than to cover the debt service. In this way, when applied prudently, debt can actually build up wealth. We know that. Leverage is a good thing. In fact, it was a good move on the government's part, for example, to go into debt to finance the Louisiana Purchase back in the early 1800s. This purchase dramatically expanded the size of the nation. 
These days, however, the government's frivolous spending habits are completely out of control. For example, for example, two billion dollars on the Obamacare website, another eight hundred and fifty-six hundred thousand dollars that the National Science Foundation spent teaching mountain lions to run on treadmills. Mountain lions to run on treadmills. Now, legitimate expenses include half of its budget just to pay for Social Security and Medicare. These are, our, these are commonly referred to as our welfare spending, our entitlement programs. The situation is so dire that the government spends more than its entire tax revenue just on these mandatory entitlement programs, plus defense and interest on the debt. Even if you could eliminate entire departments of government, they would still be running a budget deficit and going deeper into debt. The larger the national debt becomes, the more interest the government has to pay each year. And interest payments increase even more rapidly as rates continue to rise, which is exactly what's happening now. A few years ago, the government paid less than 1.5% on its 10-year treasury note. Today, as the Fed, as the Fed increases rates, uh, the rate has essentially doubled. This has a profound impact on Uncle Sam's cash flow. They have to borrow more money just to pay interest on the debt they've already borrowed. In addition, they spend a larger and larger share of the budget on debt service. This is not sound fiscal policy. Think about it. If the government is having this much trouble making ends meet when they're paying 2% interest on $21 trillion in debt, What's going to happen when they're paying 5% on $30 trillion in debt? It's absurdly foolish to think that this trend is consequence, has a consequence-free outcome. No nation in history has ever become prosperous by borrowing record amounts of debt to finance reckless spending. I'll leave you with that much analysis for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's always a pleasure being with you guys.